0: This is a Radio.com original.
1: This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles.
0: And I'm Mike Simpson.
1: And we are, as always, here to talk about some of the latest developments involving the coronavirus pandemic.
0: Today, some pretty strong evidence from an Apache tribal reservation in Arizona that contacts tracing done properly can save lives. We'll look at whether lessons learned there can be applied to the rest of us.
1: Oh, and there are growing fears and warnings about the impending flu season combined with COVID outbreaks. But could we maybe be set up for a mild flu season. We'll we'll explain that one.
0: Here's hoping. You've yeah. probably seen videos or pictures of people lining up for hours to get tested for the virus. And even if you do get tested, it can take days, weeks to get your results. And then what good is that? What if you could self-administer a COVID test from your home and then find out if you've got it within minutes? According to one company, that could happen by the end of the year.
1: So I could be like making myself a, I don't know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and test myself for COVID? At your leisure. Well, well that sounds good. Uh, Hollywood blockbusters, they're getting back to filming as the movie industry, they're trying desperately to return to some semblance of normalcy.
0: Many hospitals and healthcare providers across the country still struggling to get their hands on personal protective equipment. Studies show here in the U.S., shortages of PPE and medical supplies could persist for years, but there may be an idea to optimize the supplies by recycling them safely.
1: The coronavirus outbreak among the White Mountain Apache tribe in Arizona has been pretty bad with infection rates mirroring the broader U.S. population. But the mortality rate is much lower, and that's thanks mostly to the work of doctors who have implemented an aggressive contact tracing network. They're getting to people infected with the virus faster and treating it a lot earlier.
0: Dr. Arnold Monto is a professor of epidemiology, public health at the University of Michigan. So, doctor, what are they doing to bring the mortality rate down?
2: Actually, what they were doing was early detection. Uh, they tried to do it as contact tracing, but uh, they had relatively high rates because there are people living under close uh, contact with each other. But they're very remotely spaced out there in the, in, in the desert. And... Uh, If they hadn't known who was going to be getting sick or likely to get sick, they would have missed these cases.
1: But why is, uh, I mean, because this is a disease that we're always told, there's really not much you can do. I mean, yes, when you're in critical condition, there are now a couple of, of tools that doctors have to use. But what is it that they're doing even in the early stages other than home care and, you know, drinking plenty of fluids and resting?
2: Not generalizable to other populations. This is a population that's scattered out there and uh, with poor communication. They don't even have cell phones in some areas. So if they didn't know the people who were likely to get infected, they would have missed them and they would have been very sick by the time they got care. So it might be more generalizable to some of our rural areas and the rest of the country where uh, people are without communication. Uh, I don't think it would be particularly applicable to uh, an urban area like LA.
0: What about for like multi-family, multi-generational places where maybe if one person's sick and they don't know it? If if they move around and they're they're all living together, then we have a problem. But if you work on early detection, then you sound the alarm bell for everybody.
2: Right. right. That example exactly would be possible, but they they talked about this as contact tracing, and it really wasn't the kind of contact tracing you usually think about. When I think about contact tracing, I think about putting the contacts into quarantine so that they don't spread to others. Here they were looking at the potential contacts and watching them to make sure they didn't miss illness if it occurred.
1: The I'm still sort of interested in the early inter, intervention part uh, because... Uh, so they find people there uh, on these, on the reservation that they may not have otherwise found, uh, and now they, they identify them as being positive for COVID-19. But what what is used or what tools are employed to help them bring down the death rate because they have a particularly low, as I understand it, particularly low mortality rate from this?
2: Well, I am... When you look, a lot of what we do in comparisons of different groups are apples and oranges. So there may be a lot of other things going on. But what I think may be going on is that at least they are not letting them get so sick that they couldn't do anything with the interventions that they have. It isn't that they see them very early and uh, do things that wouldn't uh, uh, w- w- would prevent them from getting. Kind of tricky because this is a very unique population living uh, really in, 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 in uh, spread out over large areas where they where that they couldn't easily get into the hospital. They don't even have evacuation helicopters or anything like that. So knowing that somebody was likely to get infected.
0: Dr. Arnold Monteau, Professor Epidemiology, Public Health, the University of Michigan.
1: We've been getting the warnings for a few months now, but with fall fast approaching, the urgency picking up when the flu starts, making the rounds among us as the coronavirus outbreak also goes on and on and on. The one-two punch could be a nightmare for hospitals and public health officials heading into the winter. Doctors are urging people to act soon and to get flu shots as early as they can
0: but does it have to be that way if we stick to social distancing mask wearing most of us continue to work from home could we stifle influenza in the same way that we hope to slow the spread of covid dr caroline bucky is an epidemiologist at the harvard chan school of public health so doctor if large people keep up with the physical distancing shouldn't we have a, a milder flu season than normal
3: Yeah, well, it could be that um, the interventions that we are taking for coronavirus will help because, as I say, uh, the mode of transmission, uh, it's a respiratory virus, um, will actually mean that we have less flu as well. So, So the social contacts that spread coronavirus also spread the flu. And it might be that if we wear masks, social distance, wash our hands, and so on, we will have an impact on the flu season as well.
0: Now, do you subscribe to that belief? Because there's some doctors that say, no, don't get too comfortable, especially if the flu gets to a certain level and we have to have flu-related hospitalizations, we've got a bunch of COVID patients in there, and then it's still not a good scenario.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I I think we should definitely be making sure that people are getting their flu shot um, and taking precautions as well. It could be that we'll see an uptick in Coronavirus transmission, and you know, if we have the flu circulating as well, that will make make it difficult to diagnose both. You know, we have people with fever and so on, um, and it will be very problematic if we have hospitalizations for, for both kinds of transmission. So, it's not to be complacent, but just to say that you know, some of the the interventions that we're making for coronavirus should impact the spread of flu as well.
1: Now, I, I know there's thinking out there, and I'm sure you have heard of it. Uh, where people say, oh, it's, you're not likely to get two illnesses, two upper respiratory virus illnesses at the same time. But that's not true, is it?
3: No, I, I actually think it's much too early to say that that's not going to be a big problem. And, of course, we know that having a co-infection with multiple pathogens can lead to more severe outcomes. Uh, And so I think that uh, it's very important to be to be concerned that as we move into the winter season and in many states, uh, we'll be spending more time indoors and so on. We really need to be vigilant and try to uh, keep an eye on both circulating viruses. And also there are other kinds of viruses in the winter as well. RSV, other seasonal coronaviruses and so on. And so it's certainly not the case that you can't be infected by two different pathogens.
0: So what do we need to have in place by then, especially like in doctor's offices? Because usually you you get the flu, you go to the doctor, they give you a flu test, and then you know. But do we need more of the quick-acting, fast-acting COVID tests in doctor's offices? And there's there's discussions to be had about how accurate those can be, but at least it can catch maybe most of the cases.
3: Yeah, well, I think that we absolutely need to make sure that we have our testing capacity at scale with rapid turnaround time. So people need to be able to know what they have and why they have a fever. Um, So we definitely need better testing, quicker testing, more reliable testing using the viral PCR test. Um, But I think that can really be supplemented by some of these quicker antigen tests that hopefully will come online soon and we could supplement the uh the PCR tests with those and in fact we could be moving towards these quick antigen tests that people could do even in their homes and that would really help because then we can take personal responsibility for social distancing and we'll know if it's if it's COVID-19 or not uh, and so i think that that hopefully we'll see a diversification of the kinds of tests available to people and that will help us
1: i know i've read um some I guess there's somewhat controversial uh, studies or, or I guess uh, preprint studies, not peer reviewed, suggesting that influenza vaccinations, along with some other vaccinations, may actually in some weird sort of cross immunity way, offer some protection from COVID. Is, is that something that has gained any currency among uh, experts?
3: Well, I, I haven't seen that data Uh, We know that, uh, you know, there could be some cross-immunity between seasonal coronaviruses and this coronavirus. Less clear if there's going to be uh, cross-immunity between completely different viruses, like between flu and and coronavirus. Um, So I think it's too early to say and certainly not something that we should be relying on.
0: Dr. Caroline Bucky, epidemiologist, Harvard Chan School of Public Health.
1: Imagine this, not having to wait for hours to get tested for the coronavirus and not having to wait days and weeks to find out if you have the virus. One medical test device company has ambitious plans rolling out at-home coronavirus testing kits out on the market, they hope, by the end of this year.
0: KRLD's John Little spoke with Dr. Steve Tang, president and CEO of medical test device company AuraSure, to find out if his lab on a swab actually works.
4: AuraSure Technologies is on the front lines of better testing for COVID-19. We make and sell uh, sample collection kits to allow uh, saliva, uh, oral fluid, nasal fluid to be tested in laboratories. We also have in development a rapid antigen test, which is designed to be a self-test so that you can actually swab gently your nostrils and get a result uh, in under an hour to tell you whether you're COVID positive or not. And we have a oral fluid based antibody test that we're also developing to put on the market. Both of the antigen product and the antibody product will be in the, in, uh, on the market by the end of the year. Uh, so we're very excited about progress in all three areas. Just in the shorthand, I'm always interested about this. How do you take something that is so new from development to being ready for the market in such a quick time. That's a great challenge for this time because you're seeing and hearing about a lot of innovation. But a lot of the companies that are, that are uh, innovating are doing so for the first time. orshore has had a product in the market, and I'm showing you, John, but um, our product, it looks like a little canoe paddle. It's sold as a platform called Orquick today. And the Orquick platform is the only uh, FDA approved medical diagnostic device for infectious disease that you can buy over-the-counter. That means in drugstores and online. And so our innovation for COVID-19 is is based on this very stable, well-performing platform. You talk about being able to get results at home in under an hour. Is there actually a testing apparatus where it it sits there inside your home, or does it need to be taken somewhere? Right. So this, this would be the first rapid antigen test on the market that does not use instrumentation or require a lab personnel to read it. And so effectively it's just like a pregnancy test where you can self-administer it and the magic, if you will, is actually in the device. It acts like a lab on a swab. So no moving parts at all, no devices, no professional needed to help you read it. You can do that in the privacy of your own home. Where do you see the need for rapid COVID-19 tests down the line? The folks that will buy our product based on sort of massive inbound interest at this point are employers, schools, other uh, hard to reach populations like nursing homes, anywhere there's a testing bottleneck right now, and certainly Employers are not used to testing employees coming into work every day. That's a new frontier. Schools reopening for students, teachers, K-12, and higher education, all those are significant audiences for our products. But I think you're right. Even if a vaccine comes to the market quickly, and I think we're all hoping for that, it will not be widely available to most of the world for some time. So the need to test will still be there, I think, for several years.
1: Quick, what am I, Mike? <laughs>
0: You're a dinosaur. How would you know? Because we're going to talk about (laughs) Jurassic Park.
1: Oh, okay. Well, the third Jurassic World movie started filming. Was that a good dinosaur? Also, I'm concerned
0: about his health.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of, yeah. The dinosaur's not doing too well. The third Jurassic World movie started filming all the way back in February. And, well, we know how that turned out for this particular production and hundreds of other TV and film projects which were put on hold by the coronavirus outbreak. The filming pause plus the closure of movie theaters across the country has meant pretty much a blockbuster-free summer.
0: So they're hoping to change that by next summer. They're hoping to get going again. They're trying pretty hard. One of the stars of the new Jurassic World, Bryce Dallas Howard, put it this way, we are the guinea pigs. So Tom Noonan is the founder and partner of the TV and film production company Bullseye Entertainment, also lectures at UCLA. So what is it like to try and get these movies started up again with all the safety measures in place?
5: Really, really difficult, and it's uh, she's right to say that they're guinea pigs because it is really unclear whether or not this will continue to be a safe environment for these folks and whether it can really work harmoniously. It's a it's a huge challenge, and it's also very, very expensive to add the safety measures that they're adding.
1: Well, and besides that, there's the other problem, which is so they finish hopefully the film and everybody is okay. But where do they think they're going to show all these big blockbuster films when most of the theaters in most of the large cities are still closed? And there's really no no prospect, realistically, in the larger cities uh, that they're going to open anytime soon.
5: Well, AMC Theaters would argue with you. They're going to be opening their movie theaters, supposedly, August 20th.
1: Yeah, supposedly, is, supposedly is the key word. The Christopher
5: Nolan movie. So... You know, the theater owners are a lot more bullish about this than the rest of us, uh, but you're right. You know, where are these things going to play? They're probably going to be playing on streaming.
0: Yeah, we saw what Disney Plus is doing with Mulan, right? It's, what, 20 30 bucks 30 You can pay extra on top of your subscription?
5: Yeah, which I think is a real mistake for them. They, they've gotten so much goodwill by putting Hamilton up on that new service, and obviously they, The Mandalorian was a huge hit. They're putting Mulan up... But you got to pay extra for it, and and I think that was kind of a risky move on their part. I don't think it's going to be the right uh, right decision ultimately.
1: So I want to get back a little bit to uh, when uh, one of the stars of the film was quoted as saying they're being guinea pigs. What what exactly does that mean? What are they doing on the sets of these films in order to convince? you know, highly paid actors and directors and camera people and sound techs to come together uh, to do a production where everybody is, I suppose, in theory, exposed to the germs that everybody else has?
5: Well, I'll tell you what happened with Avatar, which is over in uh, New Zealand, and it was the first one to go back up. All of the crew and all of the actors were put in quarantine in the same quarantine hotel, for two weeks and they were all tested for two weeks and then they ultimately were able to go to the set and and work together and return to that same hotel so the idea was that they were all in a herd together and as long as they didn't interact with the outside world they'd all be safe together but who knows that that's really happening you know like it, it's the same thing with the NBA all those guys being housed down in Disney World are they really staying you know safe and alone and private or are people creeping in yeah you know, i guess
0: if the bubble's going to work you have to make sure it doesn't pop it's kind
5: of funny i was thinking about the conversation before we got on the phone and if you think about the first jurassic park it's supposed to be all single sex animals so that they won't breed and and create <laughs> havoc life on the finds a way yeah. and of course the chaos theory that jeff goldblum represented <laughs> shows that you know nature finds a way like you said And the people who are the guinea pigs are the actors, because that's the one part of a set that's not changing. Actors are interacting closely with each other, and they have to trust each other more than anyone else.
1: So what happens on the very first production, and maybe it'll be this one, I don't want to jinx it, but it's possible when one of the major stars, or more than one, ends up getting sick in the way that, that Tom Hanks did when they were trying to film what he was trying to film in Australia.
5: Yeah, they were trying to make that Elvis uh, movie where uh, Hanks was playing Colonel Parker, and they had to shut down that production, and I don't think it's gone back up again because Australia is not as safe as New Zealand yet. Um, you know, it could threaten the whole production, let alone the actor's life. You know, it, it's, keeping these actors safe is, uh, if you forgive the expression, paramount to everything. And if they don't stay safe, it not only threatens their own lives, but the future of the production.
0: I saw some reports from the set. And I think I've seen this some other places too. That it's now really divided is where you can go. There's like different zones, right? And if right. you're the star, you can make it all the way to the the sound stage. But everybody else, you can't go past the the orange zone. Or if you don't have the green badge, it's like when you go to a concert, and if you're not VIP, <laughs> the, the guy is going to stop you from from going too close.
5: Yeah, it's. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, the, what they what I think they figured out well with Avatar is. It's there everyone's all in together. Uh, it, keeping these separate zones, just creatively, I've been on so many hundreds, if not thousands, of sets over the years. Everyone's collaborating together. It's a messy business. Uh, and I, I just don't see these discreet little zones being able to stay uh, as walled off as
0: they hope they're going to be. Tom Noonan, founder and partner from the TV and film production company, Bullseye Entertainment. Also lecture lecturer at UCLA's School of Theater, Film, and television. Tom, thanks.
1: The United States is still suffering from a shortage of personal protective equipment, and we have been hearing harrowing stories of medical workers being forced to reuse their N95 masks or protective gowns despite their fear of catching the virus because there are just not enough PPEs to go around. So now one company is using an evaporated form of hydrogen peroxide that's known to kill the coronavirus and decontaminate PPEs for healthcare providers.
0: KRLD's Mitch Carr was looking into this one, how the company Battelle is taking on the task.
1: We are basically
6: decontaminating N95 masks. And we're doing that through a system of units that we have deployed across the United States. Um, They're mobile and we work with FEMA to locate them in the places where they're needed the most and running them through this system, which is basically like a large container and it's pumped full of vaporized hydrogen peroxide.
4: So when we think of hydrogen peroxide, uh, you know, we can buy that bottle at the drugstore, and we know that it's, uh, it can be used as a cleaner. So how does it work in a vaporized setting
5: on the N95 masks?
6: That allows it to um, settle in a very finest, kind of like you would see on your bathroom mirror after you take a shower, and it settles onto the, the fabric of the mask. And it sits there for um, about two and a half hours. And then um, we take very careful measurements to ensure that all traces of any sort of um, viral material are gone. And then we let the masks off gas we call it, um, and then we take them out and and they're returned to the hospitals where they came from.
4: And you've done studies on this that go back a few years, right?
6: That study came about in an interesting way. We did it in 2015 when the FDA asked Patel to, if masks could be decontaminated in the event of a pandemic and a, and, a, and a shortage of PPE. So when this started happening early this year, we pulled that study off the shelf, tested it. Um, and started building units, and we got permission from the FDA.
4: How does it work? How do the first responders and hospitals and, and others, uh, how do they get the material to you so it can be cleaned? What's involved with that?
6: It is very simple and easy for them. The federal government gave the a contract to cover all the costs of building and for the shipping of the masks. So um, FedEx picks them up. It's as easy as that. They- it doesn't cost healthcare care providers anything. Um, they just they get a shipping label, put them in a box. They come to Battelle and they returned about two to three days later.
1: The New Orleans Saints gearing up for its season opener against the Tampa Bay Bucks on September 13th. But the NFL team says no fans will be allowed to watch the game in person. The Saints say COVID-19 trends across the state and region do not meet the standards for health Their second home game at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome is two weeks later. Team officials say they will continue to monitor the numbers to determine if fans will be able to attend that game. The Green Bay Packers have already announced they will not allow fans to attend their two games at Lambeau Field.
0: It is a strange year, to say the least. Thanks for listening to us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You like my dinosaur? Poor guy. Yeah. (laughs)